But just a heads up before we start the first interview, some may find the the story deeply distressing. I know that I did on. In February 2012, on a highway outside Jerusalem, a school bus collided with a, a semi-trailer and burst into flames, killing one teacher and six Palestinian children, and many were injured. Jewish-American journalist and author Nathan Thrall has written an extraordinary book about the accident and uh, the many factors that contributed to the crash. He uh, introduces us to one of the families and some of the characters that played a significant role on the day. Now, through these people's stories, he creates a vivid picture of what day-to-day life for the Palestinians living in the West Bank is like. Nathan's book is called A Day in the Life of Abed Salama, Anatomy of a Jerusalem Tragedy, and I welcome Nathan to our little wireless program. What was it about this tragic accident that drew you, Nathan? Accidents must occur very frequently in the Palestinian territory. Well, thank you very much for having me. You know, the the story of this particular accident grabbed me, first of all, um, because of the emotional weight of it, the fact that the victims were kindergartners. This was a, a national tragedy for the Palestinians. They declared three days of mourning, and the victims were um, young children who live in the same city as me. They live uh, just on the other side of a 26-foot-tall gray uh, concrete wall and they live a radically different existence than the one I live. And I was uh, deeply moved by the the story. And I also felt that it was emblematic of the uh, severe segregation that exists uh, in this place and uh, the policies that are put in place to keep as many Palestinians as possible out of the heart of Jerusalem and um, the utter neglect uh, in which uh, the students and parents and teachers uh, involved in this accident live in. I understand that there are no sidewalks, no playgrounds or or parks or or paved roads. That's right. The area uh, where these people live uh, is a walled uh, enclave. It has about 130,000 people uh, inside of it today. And uh, half of this uh, walled enclave is within the municipal boundary of Jerusalem, and half is considered uh, the unannexed portion of the West Bank. But all of it is uh, one undifferentiated place of uh, utter neglect and uh, disrepair. And the community uh, live it, it is situated just beneath the um, French Hill neighborhood of uh, Jerusalem, where the uh, most prestigious university in Israel is located, the Hebrew University of Jerusalem. And from the manicured grounds of the Hebrew University, you can look down and see uh, this walled enclave with 26-foot-tall concrete walls on three sides and a fourth side with a different uh, colored wall uh, running down the middle of a segregated road with one side for Palestinians and another side for Israelis. This, uh, these this are is called pal- the apartheid roads. 
Yeah, this this road in particular is is uh, famous and is known as the Apartheid Road. It's Route 4370. And so these people are living just beneath this gorgeous campus of the Hebrew University. Half of them are able to exit through a checkpoint to the rest of Jerusalem, to their uh, workplaces and schools. And half of them are not and have to uh, go through a, a separate exit of the enclave. And that was actually why the bus took the route that it did on that day. Um, this was a private school. Many of the uh, students were Jerusalem uh, residents. But because the school system in Jerusalem is so neglectful of the Palestinian population, uh, there's a shortage of some 2,000 classrooms at the time of the accident. And uh, schools had to operate in double shifts Parents in this neighborhood didn't want to send their children through the checkpoint confronting soldiers uh, every day. And so those who could afford it sent them to a private school in the West Bank portion of the enclave. How did you persuade Abed to, to trust you, to, to tell his story to a Jewish American? You know, uh, this was something that was asked of Abed when we were on a book tour together uh, in the U.S. and the U.K. at nearly uh, every event that we did. It was one of the first questions that came to Abed. And the answer that he gave was that uh, as soon as he met me and he began to tell me his story, he saw that I had tears in my eyes. And... The fact that he uh, trusted me is, of course, entirely to his uh, credit. Um, I don't think I, I had um, much to do with it. You know, he opened up to me. He felt uh, that it was bottled up inside him, the story. It was very difficult uh, for, for him to find anyone to speak about it with. People were afraid to touch on this uh, tragic event around him. And he yearned to speak about it. Tell me about Abed and his families. So Abed comes from one of the three largest families in Anatta. His um, uh, grandfathers were the uh, leaders of the town, the, the Mukhtars. And uh, they owned much of the land at a time when Anatta was much, much larger than it is today before it had been uh, taken over by an Israeli uh, military base on uh, his father's property, before it had uh, been taken over by uh, several settlements and settler outposts, before this segregated uh, road was paved through their property. And he, you know, was born in 1969, two years after the uh, Israeli occupation began. And he lived through all of the major developments and participated in all the major developments of the Palestinian National Movement. He, he spent some months. time in the slammer, didn't he, for his role in the First Intifada? He did indeed. He was uh, just out of high school when the First Intifada began in December 1987 and was recruited into a left-wing faction, the Democratic Front for the Liberation of Palestine. And uh, shortly thereafter, he was arrested and uh, tortured, interrogated, sent to a uh, prison in the uh, Negev desert. And uh, he came out and the Oslo process began. He uh, was 
personally opposed to it. He believed that it would only make the lives of Palestinians more difficult, and it uh, that proved to be an accurate uh, prediction. And so the restrictions on his movement only grew after the Oslo Accords uh, were reached. No, he was Part married. He was married twice, four daughters, two sons, and his younger son, Milad, was only five. That's right, and you know one of the um, stories in the book is of uh, Abed, you know, facing restrictions along with other uh, employees uh, who worked in in Jerusalem and finding it uh, very difficult to enter Jerusalem and facing the prospect of losing his higher paying job in Jerusalem. And at one point, he even sought out a uh, marriage partner and, and did indeed marry a woman based on the color of her ID, because that would permit him to keep his own job. So we see throughout Abed's life how this system of control affected the most uh, intimate decisions that he made. Tell us briefly about the accident and uh, what happened immediately after, please, Nathan. On the morning of the accident, Abed was actually asleep when his five-year-old son uh, left for school, very excited for a uh, field trip on the outskirts of Ramallah because uh, many of the students in his class did not have the right color ID. They couldn't go to the nearby play areas just on the other side of the wall. And uh, Abed heard news that there was uh, an accident, and he uh, rushed uh, to the scene of the accident. There was traffic there. He ran out of the car that gave him a lift there and started running up the hill toward the accident site. Uh, he'd flagged down an Israeli uh, jeep that was there, a military jeep, and asked in Hebrew, said, my son uh, was on the bus can you give me a ride? And they refused. He kept running to the site of the accident. And by the time he got there, he saw an enormous crowd and uh, the flipped over bus, which was a, a uh, shell of a bus at this point. Because and it had had this head on with the truck on the wrong side of the road, the truck on the wrong side. And of course, the, a fire started. That's right. So what he didn't know at that point was that a uh, semi-trailer had uh, struck this school bus, a semi-trailer that was on its way to a settlement quarry, uh, extracting natural resources from the West Bank to be used to pave roads in Israel. And the bus flipped over, caught fire, and um, six children and one teacher died and the only people who were there to help those children were Palestinian bystanders who were on this road because it was a road used almost entirely by Palestinians. And uh, one teacher, who the one who passed away, heroically entered the bus to help pull more children out. Uh, another bystander went into the bus repeatedly and saved dozens of children. And when these children were, were pulled off the bus covered in soot, they were thrown in the backseat of um, the cars of anybody who happened to be there. Those people themselves had different color IDs that either permitted them or didn't permit them to enter Jerusalem where the uh, nearby and superior hospitals were. 
And so the kids went in different directions, depending on whose car they were in. By the time Abed arrived, all the kids had been evacuated. And uh, it had been more than 30 minutes after the crash before the first Israeli fire trucks arrived. Abed asked the people in the crowd where the children were. Some told him that they were at West Jerusalem hospitals, others at East Jerusalem hospitals, other, others at the hospital in Ramallah, others at the military base, the Israeli military base just up the road. And Abed himself had a green West Bank ID. He couldn't enter Jerusalem. He couldn't, certainly couldn't enter the military base. So he went to the only place that he could go, which was the Ramallah hospital, and began searching for his son. And it was more than a day later that he actually found uh, the fate of his son after calling on relatives who did have a blue ID to enter Jerusalem to go search for his son at the hospitals there. There were six kids burnt so badly they couldn't be identified. That's right. And one of the most difficult aspects of the story for Abed was that he uh, was uh, standing for most of that day uh, of the accident uh, right beside his son, a room that held his son, and he uh, did not know it. You use the backgrounds of uh, some of the key characters to recount the history of uh, Palestine, in a sense. Tell us about Huda Dabur. Huda was a mother and a doctor who worked for the UN Agency for Palestinian Refugees, UNRWA, and she was with her medical team on her way to a field visit when they came upon this burning a school bus, and they pulled over on in the middle of the road, and the, her driver began directing cars to the sides of the road to leave an exit path for uh, emergency vehicles and uh, for the bystanders who are carrying who would would be carrying the kids away. And she, uh, at the site of the accident, helped together with uh, other bystanders and some of her staff to pull these kids off of the bus and into the back seats of uh, the cars that took them off to various hospitals. Huda was raised in a refugee camp in Syria. Her family came from Haifa and was forced to flee in 1948. She grew up hearing stories of their family home in Haifa, and she dreamed all her life of returning to Palestine. And by chance, she married a young uh, Palestinian diplomat who, after the Oslo Accords, was one of the few who were permitted to come back into the West Bank and Gaza from the diaspora. And this was the fulfillment of her uh, lifelong dream. She came uh, to Palestine and she found herself quite uh, disappointed, actually, because she was unable to return to Haifa and she was unfamiliar with the place where she was permitted to go. And she found herself raising her uh, children 
in a place under military occupation. I'm aware that Hooter's son, uh, Hardy, was arrested when he was 15 years old for throwing stones and the book has an astonishing uh, figure, or you quote an astonishing figure, that in 2005 more than 700,000 Palestinians had been arrested since the occupation, roughly 40% of the population. That's right. And we see through the arrest of Huda's adolescent uh, son that those numbers were reached through a military court system that convicts, you know, 99% of the Palestinians uh, who enter it. And her son Hadi had no chance of uh, avoiding uh, jail. And he was uh, sentenced to a year and a half, uh, which was the most difficult period of of Huda's life. And uh, she described, you know, the night of his arrest as a moment of utter helplessness and terror as these soldiers came to her door unannounced at 1.30 in the morning demanded her son, did not tell her what he had done, where he was going. She spent over a week uh, trying to find just where he was located and um, finally attended his, uh, his trials in this military court with a judge in an IDF uniform who uh, uh, sentenced him to a year and a half in jail. You've told us about the uh, brave bystander, Salem, who uh, dragged so many children out of the bus, but tell me now about Livnat Wider. How did she fit into the story? Livnat uh, was a social worker uh, at the Hadassah Hospital in Ankarim, and uh, she herself lived in a uh, settlement in Gush Etzion, and on the day of the accident, she was tasked with trying to help all of these uh, hundreds of Palestinian relatives who came to the hospital trying to find uh, their loved ones. And uh, she didn't uh, have Arabic. She uh, relied on uh, two staff members who did have Arabic to try and comfort these families and to try and uh, help them locate their their children because uh, in the end it was very few who actually came to the Hadassah hospital in uh, in Karam and Livnat was deeply deeply moved by this event she couldn't um, describe it without um, crying uh, each time she did and she did her best within this system to try and console these families. And all the time, everything has been complicated by this bizarre business of uh, different coded or different coloured passes. That's right. I mean, this pass system was the reason that the bus took the route that it did, uh, rather than uh, going to much closer play areas that they should have been able to go to if uh, all the kids uh, came from families with the right color ID. And the pass system was also why different children were taken in different directions. If the driver of the car who took a child to the hospital had a blue ID, he would take the child to the better hospitals in Jerusalem. Uh, 
And if the driver had a green ID, they would take the child to the Ramallah hospital or some went even farther. So that uh, entire uh, system, including the the permit system, was uh, part of what made that day so extraordinarily uh, difficult and chaotic for all the people involved. This is Late Night Live and I'm talking to Nathan Thrall. Nathan is a Jewish-American journalist based in Jerusalem and in the past he worked for that fine organisation, the International Crisis Group, as an analyst and he's now the author, A Day in the Life of Abed Salama, Anatomy of a Jerusalem Tragedy, published by published by Penguin. Now, we've already established that the roads of the West Bank are almost a character in the story in their own right. Yes, the road system is a uh, highly segregated one. You have one road network that is used by the settlers, uh, the Jewish settlers who live in the West Bank, and another network of roads used by the Palestinians. And often these roads will the highways for settlers will slice through a uh, Palestinian town or run just above or adjacent to a Palestinian town without any possibility for uh, entry onto that road from uh, the town uh, just next to it. And the other element, the physical element in this story uh, that uh, plays such a prominent role is the separation barrier, the uh, 26-foot-tall concrete wall that snakes in and out of uh, the the town of Anatta, uh, where the um, children come from. And one of the characters in the book is the architect of the wall. He uh, designed it and This is, this is Danny Tirza. Yes, Danny Tirza, uh, an IDF uh, colonel who was um, responsible for almost all of the territorial negotiations that took place. He was the chief map maker. He designed the maps that created, uh, that turned the West Bank during the Oslo period into a series of islands of Palestinian autonomy with 165 small islands of limited Palestinian control surrounded by a sea of full Israeli control and settlement. And Danny, you know, faced uh, a choice when he created the wall. He could have followed the municipal boundary of Jerusalem when he did it, but instead the wall attempted, where possible, to cut off, to come around densely populated Palestinian areas and push them in the greater Jerusalem area onto the West Bank side, as it were. So thus, you know, lopping off more than uh, 100,000 Palestinians from the heart of Jerusalem. Did Abed or any of the other families receive any compensation from the government of Israel? Yes, the families who had a blue uh, Jerusalem ID received compensation from the Fund for Victims of Traffic Accidents. And Abid was actually the um, the sole parent of a child who had a, a green uh, West Bank ID. And Abid uh, was not eligible to receive those uh, those funds, even though it was the, the same accident, the same event, the same location. And uh, 
he was had to go through a different mechanism through through the PA where he would be eligible for a tiny fraction of what those with a blue ID could get. Do you see any hope for the future? Is a two-state solution possible now with all the Palestinian communities separated in this way? It seems uh, extremely unlikely that a Palestinian state with real sovereignty uh, will emerge in the foreseeable future. Of course, you know, any uh, thing that is uh, done through political will can be undone through political will in theory. But in practice, when you travel through this area and you see the degree to which the settlements are not these uh, far uh, satellites of uh, the main Israeli population centers, but rather, you know, contiguous with the state of Israel, integrated into the state of Israel, having the same, um, you know, fire stations and the same uh, roads and the same police stations and the same road signs and the same health clinics and the same shopping malls. You see that they have been annexed in all but name. And this is a part of the state of Israel. And we are all, in a way, living in a, in a fiction where we pretend that these settlements haven't been annexed, that they're some faraway occupation, uh, as though it were, you know, the United States uh, occupying Iraq. Um, no, this is the slow swallowing of uh, the territory that Israel controls. Oh, Nathan, thank you very much for coming on the program. I've had the privilege of talking to Nathan Thrall, author of A Day in the Life of Abed Salama, Anatomy of a Jerusalem Tragedy, published by Penguin. Oh, and Nathan is appearing at the Adelaide Writers' Festival on the 4th of March. Find more great ABC RN stories that take you beyond the headlines on the ABC Listen app.